Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Canada continues to support Ukraine as it fends off Russia's military. How are Hamilton organizations preparing to resettle Ukrainian refugees? Millions of dollars has been raised in Canada and around the world for Ukraine relief. Is it time for Hamilton to eliminate area rating? We'll ask Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. We analyze Christine Elliott's exit from politics and how it will impact Doug Ford's re-election bid this summer. And the newest Canadian Heritage Moment is the first to acknowledge slavery in Canada. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, as rockets and gunfire continue to erupt throughout Ukraine and tens of thousands of people flee from the Eastern European country, Canada remains steadfast in its support of Ukraine and its people. And here to chat a little bit about that is Bob Ray, Canada's ambassador to the United Nations. Ambassador Ray, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, thank you so much, Rick. Good to join you, too. When you hear about what's happening in Ukraine, when you see the videos and the photos of Russian attacks, especially those on civilian buildings and, and neighborhoods, how have you digested that? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that question because uh, we we had a special meeting of our team today, all of our, all of our diplomats in, in the mission here. And it was really a therapy session. It turned into a real discussion about the emotions that we're all feeling. Uh, a lot of people are, are having to deal with Russian disinformation at the UN, uh, you know, having some tough conversations like everybody else for watching what's going on. Uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's emotionally very challenging for everybody because uh, the situation in Ukraine is very, very bad. Um, and there's just a loss of life, loss of livelihood, uh, shortages of food in many different cities. Um, it's a it, it, the humanitarian situation is really, really challenging. You've got a, people moving into refugee camps. We see all these things going on, and the bombing is incessant. So, I mean, it's it's tough, and I think everybody knows it's tough. And uh, we reached out today just to talk to one another about what we're what we're feeling. And what are those feelings like? How, how, how have you and your staff kind of gone through this grind? Because it's day after day that you're dealing with this issue. It's, it's during a pandemic. It can't be easy. No, but the point is, I always make to people is two things. One is, whatever grind we're facing is nothing compared to what the people of Ukraine are facing. And I think it's important that we always keep that in perspective. And the second is that we have a job to do. We're professionals. We have negotiations. We have discussions. We have representation we have to do for our country and so that that requires us to be to be like like any professional person a doctor or a psychiatrist or a social worker or anybody dealing with trauma we we can't allow our own trauma to to uh, prevent us from doing our work and so we have to figure out how to deal with it and one of the ways we deal with it is by just having having safe spaces where we can talk about what we're feeling and, and what we're trying to do um but I think it's come to it's come home to us that the 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 level of polarization we're seeing in the world, the the way bad guys do stuff and how they behave and how they take on the world um, is 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 a deeply challenging moment for the world. And I think we all recognize that we're in the middle of a major sea change uh, globally that uh, is is having a, will have a serious impact on everything we do. Uh, because of the, the the violent nature of the government of, of Russia, the current government of Russia, 
and uh, how those interventions uh, in Syria, in, in Ukraine, uh, internally in their own country, in Georgia, uh, have, uh, and, and of course, in, in, in many other contexts, have created a problem for, for their own people, but it's certainly a problem for their neighbors and for the rest of the world. So it's, it's challenging. You know, we have to face up to it. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Bob Ray, Canada's ambassador to the United Nations. The UN Human Rights Council has condemned alleged rights violations by Russia in its invasion of Ukraine and has agreed to set up a commission to investigate them, including possible war crimes. How will this be conducted and will this amount to more than just a document? Well, there's a number of investigations that are underway. I mean, uh, there's... uh, there are two international courts in The Hague where countries are taking, including Canada, are taking the issues here in front of the court. Uh, I, I think that in the case of the human rights investigation, it will produce a report. Uh, but these reports have a way of them setting in train uh, a series of fact-gathering and evidence-gathering processes that that can lead to uh, accountability and and to uh, findings of guilt. So it's a long process. Unfortunately, it's a difficult one. It's a slog to get through these processes, but it's 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 the best we can do at the moment. Uh, it's These are the things, these are the institutions uh, we've created, and they're very imperfect, but uh, we we have to work with what we've got. And so the, the human rights tri- you know, investigation will be one more vehicle to get the facts out on the table. The Russians hate facts. The, the, the Putin faction hates facts. They hate information. Uh, the, the Russian parliament passed a resolution yesterday uh, making it illegal for uh, for anyone to talk about the Russian invasion or to talk about the, the genocide. None of those things are uh, allowed to be spoken of. And the Russian people are, frankly, a lot of them just living in the dark uh, and not able to process the uh the information that they need to process to understand what their country is doing. I think we're all hoping for at least uh, a ceasefire. Can that happen and a Vladimir Zelensky-led Ukrainian government still be in power? Well, it can, but right now it's up to the Russians and and we have not been able to stop the, the, the Russian... We've been able to slow down the Russian war effort. I say we, I mean all the countries that are supporting Ukraine. It's the Ukrainian army which is doing the, the which is at the coal face and doing doing the work uh and they have been able to slow down the russian invasion but they've not been able to stop it so the russians are advancing on a number of cities and and uh you may have seen the, the news about the uh, nuclear reactor uh which the russians are now occupying so there there is uh, there is a real challenge to 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 all of us if there's a ceasefire uh can Zelensky survive? Well, so far the Russians have tried to assassinate him at least three times, uh, and and we need to uh, understand what these what this what this Putin government is all about. It is a ruthless killing machine, and that's they have to we have to understand that's what we're up against. So will they agree to a ceasefire? We'll just have to see. In a recent speech that you gave uh, at the United Nations, you said, quote, Canada says to Ukraine and any challenged nation, whither thou ghost, we will go. What did you mean by that? And how far is Canada willing to go? Well, what we're saying is uh, we 
we are with you in your struggle. And I think what the government is constantly trying to define is what does that mean exactly? How do we do that? And how do we do it in partnership with others? Because it's not just Canada doing this. It's it's what others have done. I was recalling the famous famous quotation from a talk from Harry Hopkins, who was Franklin Roosevelt's assistant, who went to flew over to England during the darkest hours of the of when England was alone, and Hopkins was negotiating the Lend Lease program, which was the program that allowed the Brits to carry on with American military equipment in the face of the German attack. Americans didn't declare war on Germany. Germany didn't declare on America until after Pearl Harbor. So this was before Pearl Harbor. And at that moment, uh, Hopkins quoted from the Book of Ruth. And I think it's important that we think of what, what the meaning of solidarity is. We we are supplying arms. We're supplying as much assistance as we can. We're providing uh, cash money. We're, we're providing loans. Uh, we're uh, working hard on sanctions, which are having an impact on Russia. Um, but as I said, we, we have to come to full grips with the fact that the Russians are so far not backing off. And so we, we have to take that into account. And I know those are discussions that have been underway today in Brussels with uh, the uh, foreign ministers, uh, our ministers there. Uh, I know these are things that will be discussed every day. And uh, Minister Anand, the defense minister, just announced some new uh, assistance to the Ukrainians, uh, to the Ukrainian army in terms of lethal weaponry. We're all going to have to step up. I know we're just about out of time, but if I may, just one more question for uh, Ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray. Mr. Ambassador, there is a concern that Russia's invasion uh, of Ukraine could convince China to take action against Taiwan. Is that a realistic possibility? Well, I think if I think the, the, the challenge for the world is if, if we don't stop Putin, uh, I think I think it will send a terrible message to the autocrats around the world. Uh, if the if we're not able to stop this invasion and stop this illegality uh, in its tracks with a sufficiently robust response that it will actually stop it, then every autocrat in the world is going to say, well, who's going to stop me? Um, there's a famous quotation from Stalin uh, or maybe yeah, Hitler that you know, when the people talked about uh, the Pope was complaining about or was expressing deep thoughts about about uh, a conflict. And he said, yeah, how many how many battalions does the Pope have? And, and we need to understand that these ruthless dictators only understand one thing. That is the exercise of power that's equal to stopping them from doing what they're doing. And we're trying to ratchet up that power every day in terms of the support that we give to Ukraine, the sanctions and so on. But we, we need to keep our eye on the objective. And the objective is to stop. It's not to do each technique for its own sake. It's to stop Putin. And so we have to keep on pushing until we're able to stop him. Mr. Ray, you're doing a wonderful job in um, taking up our um, cause and, and our beliefs at the United Nations and speaking for the country. Really appreciate your time this morning as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. President Putin has opened the darkest chapter yet in his assault on the Ukrainian people, but he has made a grave miscalculation. 
People around the world, including in the streets of Moscow and St. Petersburg, are standing against his brutal and unnecessary war. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying he's been inspired by the courage and resolve of Ukraine's leader and its people. And as the situation in Ukraine unfolds, how are Hamilton organizations preparing to resettle refugees? We know that a number of Ukrainian refugees will be coming to this country. Lily Lumsden is the Senior Regional Manager of Employment and Immigrant Services at the YMCA Hamilton Holton Burlington and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Lily. Good morning. Is the YMCA going to be called upon to help resettle Ukrainian refugees? Uh, absolutely. Um, we we have a, a, a big history in terms of working with, um, with obviously, with newcomers and new immigrants and in terms of our immigrant services. Um, and we have successfully, uh, with, with the help of the community, uh, supported um, the Syrian refugees, which over a thousand came to Hamilton, as well as we're, we're currently working um, with community partners on the Afghan refugees. So we definitely will be here to help um, with numerous resources and supports for them. What does that refugee resettlement process look like when uh, an individual or a family from Ukraine or any nation, really, who wants uh, to seek refugee status in this country, how does the YMCA help? So um, what we try to do is, in the beginning when they arrive, uh, the first thing that uh, we need to look for or help them look for is housing, um, either Preferably permanent housing, but sometimes it is on a temporary basis. Uh, we work uh, directly with Wesley Urban Ministries uh, to support government-assisted refugees, so it really depends on how they come in the country, uh, who we work with. Um, once they have housing, we then work with the families to, um, if they have children, school-age children, we work with them to get their children in the schools. And we actually have 14 settlement workers that work directly in our local school boards to be able to help the children and the families with the the, the process of adjusting to a new school system. Um, we also help connect them to um, things like, uh, obviously, employment, uh, housing first, then employment. Uh, so for the parents and for any um, children who are adult age and, and needing to work, then we help connect them with uh, local employment. And, and then there's the, the health and the mental health support. So connecting them to local doctors, to helping them understand our healthcare system, um, and then definitely the, the mental health supports around dealing with trauma. Um, and then the other piece is we also work with our community partners to help them if they're interested in bringing other family members um, over to here to Canada. And I know that one of the priorities um, uh, just announced last week with the Canadian government is to, uh, to help families bring uh, their family members from Ukraine here to Canada. Um, possibly on a temporary basis, possibly on a permanent basis, but we'll be there to help them uh, as well in, in all things they need. It's quite an extensive process and one that sounds like doesn't take just a couple of weeks. Uh, no, it does not. <laughs> it, it, for some people, it, it can take it can be quicker than others, uh, but for some families, uh, it can take it can take months, sometimes years. Um, with the the Syrian refugees that came in a number of years ago, we are still working with those families um, and, you know, working with still helping them adjust to the Canadian uh, way of life, but also really seeing the effects of the trauma of, of war um, now that it's been a few years later, right? They're now here, they're safe, um, they're here in Canada, and then usually what will happen is those effects of trauma will then 
um, start to crop up, you know, a few years later. So it's it's not definitely not an easy easy process. Um, we do try to have our, make sure that our staff complement reflects uh, those that were that were helping. And so we we do have some staff that are from um, uh, the Eastern European countries and and specifically the Ukraine, which will be uh, which would be quite helpful uh, as we look to supporting um, the families. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Lily Lumsden, Senior Regional Manager, Employment and Immigrant Services at the YMCA Hamilton Halton Burlington. Because Hamilton has a pretty significant Ukrainian uh, community, is it easier for these individuals to be integrated into what happens in the city? Definitely having the support of, uh, of um, the Ukrainian community will will help significantly, especially in the initial <clears throat> excuse me, especially in the initial days uh, as they are arriving um, and being able to source out housing and possibly employment. Um, definitely having the local associations help is is uh, does make the process uh, quicker. Uh, doesn't make it any easier. Um, we hope so, but. Um, you know, when you're coming from war and especially, you know, especially coming directly from war, as opposed to some of our, our um, people that we work with have lived in refugee camps for a while. Um, when you're coming straight from the conflict, it does that adds a whole other level of trauma um, that would need to be um, to be helped with. And so having, um, you know, people from your community surround you with love and care um, is definitely helpful in the process. Lily, is there any idea as to the number of refugees who will be resettled here in Hamilton? No, we haven't heard yet um, from our uh, from IRCC, who who funds the bulk of our programs. Um, we we know that they will be there. You know, through a number of different pathways, we will be having um, a more. We will be having a significant number. We haven't heard on the exact number, but the community of Hamilton is strong and. You know, with the Syrian refugees, we resettled over a thousand um, in a fairly short period of time. So, um, you know, I would say that our community is definitely ready for for that type of number, but we haven't as yet heard. And have any already come to our community? Or are we still waiting for the first ones to to trickle in? <clears throat> We're still waiting for the first ones to come through. Um, there is, even though the the federal government has expedited um, the process and made it. Uh, easier and quicker under certain circumstances. Um, it, there still is a bit of paperwork that needs to be done uh, um, prior to them getting here. So uh, we haven't received them yet, but I'm, I'm anticipating we will be soon. Lily, tremendous efforts from the YMCA's part. We know it's a, a valuable, invaluable um, piece of this community that is going to do a lot of great things for a lot of uh, great people who are going to be coming over here. Thank you very much for your time and best of luck going forward with this effort. Great. Thank you so much. Lily Lumsden is the Senior Regional Manager, Employment and Immigrant Services at the YMCA Hamilton, Halton, Burlington, as they get set for what could be uh, many um, Ukrainian refugees who are seeking uh, a safe and much better life in this country. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Canadians are, as we know, giving a bunch uh, of uh, money and uh, their time and effort to help those who are in Ukraine. When there's a 
catastrophe in another part of the world, we waste little time in offering our help, either through volunteering or contributing financially. And uh, that is being seen across the country as Canadians dig deep to help our our friends in war-torn Ukraine. Here to talk a little bit about that is Dr. George Husilak, the VP of Development and Financing at the Ukrainian World Congress. Good morning, Dr. George. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. There are about two dozen, I think, at last count, different organizations that we can contribute to, including the Red Cross, uh, Amnesty International. Knowing that our money is going to be used to help Ukrainian citizens at this time of great need, the coordination, the contributions from Canada and around the world have been just amazing to see. Yeah, yeah, they have. It's It's been really overwhelming how the global community has stepped up, not only in contributing, but finally in, in you know, firmly, you know, condemning the atrocities that are happening in Ukraine. It is extremely, extremely uh, inspiring to see people come together like this. Is there a running tally or even a ballpark on how much has been contributed to date? You know, it's such a fluid number. I have I have no idea. I can tell you, you know, organizations like the Canadian Red Cross have received matching funds from the Canadian government uh, in the amount of $10 million, and I believe that has almost been achieved. Uh, but these other charities, with all, with all the, you know, entities and organizations raising funds, I have no idea. But uh, I, I know that people are kind of pouring out their prayers and, uh, you know, opening their pocketbooks to support this initiative. We are hearing that uh, there are some phony fundraising campaigns that are being run by common artists. It, it, it happens whenever this type of scenario comes about. So I guess it's safe to say that people should be very careful before clicking that donate button and make sure that you're donating to a reputable organization. You're you're absolutely right. It's 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 very, very tragic that you know, no matter what the situation, no matter what is happening in the world, there are always people that are looking to profit uh, personally from it. And uh, there are a number of legitimate sites. Uh, it's not too tough to pick out the con artists, but they are out there. And yes, we have to do our due diligence to make sure that uh, it's legitimate. You know, one, one way to check is to perhaps call some of the larger organizations, you know, like the Ukrainian World Congress, like the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, like the Canada Ukraine Foundation, they would be completely uh, up to speed on which organizations are legitimate and which are not. What kind of calls has the Ukrainian World Congress fielded from people? What kind of calls? Well, uh, the most common call is probably someone just calling and saying, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the frustrating thing is we're here. We're not on the ground. We can't do much. You know, I've spoken with a lot of my friends and colleagues there are people that said, man, if I was there, I would be taking up arms. I'd be doing what I can. You know, we're not, we're not there, but we can support those. And they need, they need financial support. They need humanitarian support. They're being relocated. They're being injured. They're being killed. Um, they also need protective support. You know, there, there are many people who have taken up arms. There's uh, international militia that's been created. There are people in the streets that are, are out, and you've probably seen the images yourself, people standing in front of a tank uh, to stop it or lying down and doing everything they can. And, you know, as far as what we can do individually to support, right now it's channeling our energy and channeling our funding through these legitimate organizations to support in humanitarian sense, and also to support, you know, the defenders, to keep them alive and fighting. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. George Husilak. He's the VP of Development and Fundraising at the Ukrainian World Congress. We've heard that hundreds of people, many of them children, have died amid Russia's relentless attacks and about a million people or so have fled Ukraine. This humanitarian crisis is really hard to swallow. Uh, you said it. <laughs> It's, it's it's extremely it's extremely sad to watch these images and you know many people I've talked to can't can't just pull away from from their screens with what's going on. What we're doing at the Ukrainian World Congress is we've established a fund called Unite with Ukraine, and our focus is to provide the defenders of Ukraine with uh, with a number of things. Most importantly, uh, individual medical kits with night goggles, with uh, bulletproof vests, uh, helmets and communications equipment and we have been successful since we already have contacts on the ground and logistics organized we have been successful already in delivering some of this material but there's much 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 more we need to do that's great to hear how can our listeners contribute to the unite with ukraine cause in the ukrainian world congress well you can uh you can access it pretty easily either by going to the ukrainian world congress website and clicking on uh support the defenders or by going to unitewithukraine.com, and directly you'll see a big Ukrainian flag there and an explanation of what's going on. And uh, the contribution process is pretty painless. Well, I know that many of our listeners, many Canadians, have indeed already helped and more will continue to do so, and uh, we are happy to do so and looking forward to an end to this invasion in Ukraine. Dr. Husilak, thank you very much for your time today. Best of luck going forward. Thank you so much, Rick, for having me. Take care. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There are going to be significant tax hits to many people in the rural community at a time when they they can't afford it. I mean, they've had two years of pandemic. They've been hit left and right. Uh, prices are going through the roof everywhere. That was the voice of Hamilton City Councilor Brad Clark, who says eliminating area rating in Hamilton would hurt the suburban areas big time. Yeah, more than two decades after it was first introduced. Hamilton councillors have asked staff to report back later on this month on the impacts of phasing out area rating. On Friday, our Twitter poll question of the day asked if we should eliminate area rating in Hamilton, and 70% said yes. Here to chat about it is the mayor of Hamilton, Fred Eisenberger. He joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, uh, Rick. Maybe we'll start with the easiest question that I'll ask you, and that what the heck is area rating? How does it work? Yeah. You know, area rating was uh, was put in at uh, the time of amalgamation to account for different service levels between the uh, more urban area, Old Hamilton, and the suburban area, Stony Creek, Flamborough, Ancaster, all the suburban communities, and so uh, Dundas. And so uh, that was instituted, but was never instituted to be, you know, a permanent feature. It was, you know, believed to be that over time service levels would uh, would equalize, and that's certainly something that's, that has occurred. And that's why our city staff actually put forward a recommendation to phase out some of the area-rated services that haven't yet been uh, phased out, which is uh, sidewalk snow-clearing removal uh, to be uh, area-rated or area-rated removed over four years, area-rating of sidewalks and street lighting uh, also uh, to be uh, eliminated over four years, and recreation and parkland purchases, you know, and, and Fire, and so uh, you know, Councillor Clark uh, was not supportive of the four-year uh, phase-out, 
but put on the table a 10-year phase-out and then included uh, the transit services, which has been a bone of contention for quite some time as well. So we, what we've asked our staff to do is to come back and give us uh, the, the numbers and the, the impact of that over four, six, eight, and ten years in terms of how we phase that out. So obviously the longer time period, the less, uh, I guess, hurtful the, the this policy would be to at least yeah. those in the suburban area? Yeah, there'll be uh, there'll be uh, slight increases in the suburban area. For the, the ones that are on the table right now, currently, I think it's about $15 that they would have to pay more and there'd be no increase in the uh, in the uh, kind of old old city of Hamilton urban areas or all the urban areas and um, I, I don't know what the impact of transit is going to be but I if I remember correctly it was something in the order of seven dollars and so if you phase that in over let's let's say six years then uh, you know that whole number would be broken down into a six equal pieces. So it could be two, two or three dollars per year variable until we get to the uh, the full phase out number. Why is now the right time to do it? Well, I mean, I don't know if there is ever a right time to do it. To be to be honest, uh, you know, the, the there's a differential, you know, service level. Uh, you know, recreation facilities are used by people, uh, you know, all over the city, wherever there's capability and capacity, that's where they go. Uh, whether it's uh, you know people from uh, the mountain going to Flamborough or or vice versa. And so uh, you know, there was there's no perfect time to do this. Um, it's uh, uh, you know, I think. Uh, the uh, the very fact that there's a differential in in service capability or at least the cost thereof uh you know i think is a, is an unfair scenario going forward and it has been that way for quite some time and so i think it's time to to equalize it as much as possible you know and it does end up getting rid of the endless debate around uh you know area rating services and differential rates and uh, all the things that uh some of the other amalgamated communities didn't have to face uh, that we've had to uh, had to put in place, and it has been a bone of contention ever since. So I'd love to see it in the rearview mirror for everybody, and then we can uh, you know all continue to invest in all of the facilities uh, throughout our community, both transit and culture and rec facilities, in an equal way to uh, to get benefit to people in an equal way right across the board. Uh- Regarding those uh, policies uh, or, uh, I guess, agencies or organizations that would be retained in area rating, would fire services be the only one that would be left? Uh, they're they're recommending to phase it out as well, but okay. they haven't got the final numbers on that. But we have we have full time firefighters in many areas. We have uh, uh, volunteer firefighters in areas, and we have uh, a mix of full-time and volunteer firefighters and and the the way they're approaching that is that we should reflect the rate based on those service levels not on area rating and that's that's the area that they're looking to uh, to to consider and bring information back at and then uh, and then hopefully put that into place in 2024 and so the uh you know, all of these area rating things create anomalies that that, that just don't don't make any sense over time. And uh, you know, fixing them and getting them uh, you know equalized and, and rationalized, I think, is the right thing to do. Fire, uh, obviously, everyone wants a, a decent fire service level. Uh, we have a standard for providing service level, whether it's for full time firefighters or or part time firefighters, volunteers. And that service level is uh, is equalized across the board. It's just delivered by different fire services 
uh, in terms of full-time complement or a hybrid of volunteer and full-time. So that uh, that can be equalized, and I think uh, that's the approach that staff are taking. Mr. Mayor, appreciate the time today. Good luck with this debate and going forward. Thank you. Have a great day, Rick. You too. That's Fred Eisenberger, Mayor of the City of Hamilton. As we chat about area rating, city staff will report back to Council on March 23rd on the impacts of phasing out area rating over a number of years. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Giving me the opportunity to have served the people of Ontario as Minister of Health for these last four years. It has truly been an honour and a very great privilege, um, especially during a pandemic. Um, It has uh, been uh, wonderful working with all of the people I have, and I have a lot of thank yous. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. This is 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy morning to spend it with us. If you got to go at any point between now and the end of the show, you can always subscribe to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast so you never miss a segment or an interview. You search it out in your favorite podcast catcher. Hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Well, uh, Health Minister Christine Elliott, as you just heard, announcing she will not seek re-election in this summer's provincial election. What does that mean for the government? governing uh, Tories here in this province. Let's ask our next guest, Mackenzie Metcalf, research intern with Summa Strategies here on Good Morning Hamilton. Mackenzie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Is this an uh-oh kind of moment for Premier Doug Ford and the Ontario PCs? Well, it definitely is a notable moment. Um, Christine Elliott is the Deputy Premier as well as the Minister of Health Care, and she was also formerly the Minister of Long-Term Care. Um, and those are some big files that have been incredibly difficult to manage over the past two years. Um, so Ford is definitely going to be missing a key player on his team as he heads into the election in June. And a key player during the pandemic as well. Christine Elliott's uh, focus and determination and tenacity was uh, on display throughout the pandemic. Is this going to be her legacy, do you think? For sure. She's had a very long career in politics, about 16 years. Um, She was first elected actually all the way back in 2006, has had three PC leadership bids since then, um, and has made herself indispensable on Team Ford. Um, It was reported that her, as well as former Minister Phillips, were really the dream team behind the scenes um, with Ford through this entire pandemic. Um, So she will definitely have a legacy of being a hard worker dedicated to the uh, Conservative Party of Ontario, as well as um, Ontarians in general. Yeah, she ran for the leadership of the uh, provincial Tories uh, three times, as you mentioned, 2009 against Tim Hudak. She ended up losing. Uh, She fell to Patrick Brown in 2015, lost to Doug Ford in 2018. It would have been interesting to see her in the leadership role, do you think? It definitely would have been. Um, Having a woman in that role would have been awesome, especially as a woman. It would have been great to look up to. Um, But since then, she has really made herself um, an indispensable member of Ford's party as well. Um, She actually came really close to winning against Ford. Um, She was the moderate centrist alternative in that 2018 leadership election. And she actually won more votes than he did, um, but lost because of the party's complex weighted voting system. Um, So it would have been really interesting to see her as a leader. But through this entire pandemic, she's kind of been the member of Ford's cabinet that he can't afford to get rid of just because she is so popular. Um, But because also she has really proved herself to be 
um, great to have at the cabinet table in terms of decisions and her leadership capacity, which has definitely shown through this pandemic. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Mackenzie Metcalf, research intern at Summa Strategies. Um, you mentioned Rod Phillips. Several uh, Him and several other MPPs have said that they are not going to seek re-election. Does this make a PC minority or maybe even a change in government all the more realistic? Yeah, that's definitely something that um, Ford is going to have to consider. Um, So there's been a bunch of high profile ministers that have stepped down and have announced that they're not running for re-election. Overall, one quarter, about one quarter of uh, Ford's 76 MPs that were elected or MPPs that were elected with him in 2018 um, are not seeking re-election, which is definitely a really big number. Um, And though Ford is still very popular and so are the Conservatives in Ontario, um, it means he's losing the incumbent factor. Um, So when you are a sitting MPP, you have a lot of advantages when running for re-election. You have name recognition, you have relationships, as well as local stakeholders and voters, um, which puts you in a really good place in terms of running a re-election campaign. So Ford um, is definitely going to have to do a little bit more work or the people on his team are um, in terms of creating those relationships, getting out with voters, because they're going to have a new name on the ballot that people won't necessarily recognize, which is not great for Ford, but is still possible. Do you suspect the other parties, be it the NDP, Liberals, the Greens, to use this exodus from Ford Nation, if you will, against the provincial Tories to say, hey, all all these people are jumping ship, you know, uh, put your trust in us? For sure. I definitely think that is an obvious line of attack in terms of the other parties. Um, But it's also important to note that that might not legitimately be the case behind the scenes. I'm sure everyone in a leadership position over the pandemic knows the cognitive toll that being a leader and making such high profile decisive decisions um, can take on someone. She was in a high profile, high stakes position for the pandemic as the deputy premier and minister of health. She's had a long 16 year political career. Um, And quite frankly, I'm sure she's exhausted and really ready to move on to other things. Um, So this, um, stepping down of a minister. I don't think we should read into it too much. Um, But it is notable that um, so many members of Ford's caucus are not running for re-election. Yeah, if uh, if anyone, Ms. Elliott uh, certainly deserves a break. Mackenzie, always appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A new Canadian heritage moment is the first to be directed by a black woman and the first to acknowledge slavery in Canada. Here's a snippet. I don't care what the law is. I will never be a slave. That word, I hate it. It rests on my tongue like rot. Peter, how does it feel to get paid for your work? There are rumors freedom's coming for us all. Freedom, you know that's all I want. Chloe, careful. Vroom men would rather sell you across the river to America and then let you go free. Then I'll run. It is a powerful heritage moment, and again, the first to acknowledge slavery in this country. Here to chat about it is the producer of the Chloe Cooley Heritage Minute, Agati Conte-George. Gotti, good morning. How are you today? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Tell us the story of Chloe Cooley. Yes, yes. So it's a you know bit of unknown or underknown under 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 um, known uh, history here in Canada. So Chloe Cooley was an enslaved um, uh, African in, um, in in southern Ontario, what is now southern Ontario. Back then it was a former Upper Canada, um, 
Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.